welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Hello and welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. It's the winter edition where I think it's cold everywhere. So Katie, is it cold where you are? Arlene, it's cold enough that I just got out of the shower and went to call the dogs in and my hair froze just sticking my head out the door to call the dogs. That's cold. It was 13 below and then wind chill and that's Fahrenheit. So yeah, that's cold. It's cold enough that my kids got their fourth day off school in six days. So Wow, that's impressive. So this one's not about snow. It's just because it's too cold. It's just that it's too cold. Yeah. That's a lot of snow days. Which, yeah. I mean, I'd rather they went to school, but we're lucky to have flexible jobs and good child care. And they're both at daycare today with all their little friends. And I'd rather the kids were safe and not just our kids, but everybody's kids. And That is hard to juggle, though, if you uh, can't get them to daycare on those real blizzard days. Last week, they got several extra days at home, but today they just went in. Thankfully, it's on the way to Jim's work, too, so it's not... Yeah, if the vehicle starts, you're going. Yes, yes. If we can leave the driveway, you're going. Yeah, that's right. And how are things on the farm when it's that cold? I'm real grateful that Jim does the chores outside. It's it's freaking cold out there. Um, Real, real grateful that we replaced our above-ground water with an in-ground cobit. Jim said it was actually steaming yesterday because the water is at 50 degrees. So in these temperatures, the cows have nice warm water. He said the cows were out, you know, frolicking around in the snow yesterday because they're fat and furry and they're plenty warm enough even just, you know, if they can get out of the wind and stay dry, they're fine. So Yeah, and they're getting lots of water and feed, so they have all they need. Yep. Yeah, it's being... Chilly and wet seems to be the worst possible thing for them, which I'm sure you know and our listeners know that cold and dry is fine. Chilly and wet is not. Yeah, and it sounds like depending where you are that uh, wet is the other uh, the other main weather that's happening right now. So at least the, the snow isn't the worst thing. Yeah. I think a ton of rain would be harder to deal with at this point. For sure. For sure. Because then it's muddy too. I mean, at least the ground is solid now. Mm-hmm. So. You know, how are things up there? They are not as cold as you, actually. I mean, it's cool, but um, definitely out on the prairies, it's super cold right now. But where we are, it's uh, just just below freezing. Today's a little bit colder than that. But ours, our last week has been mostly uh, snowstorms, but not not super cold with them. So, yeah, our kids had two snow days in a row. Not that the weather was terrible both days, but it kind of hit midday and one day and then the roads weren't good enough for the buses to go the next day. And then the next snowstorm happened over the weekend. So they didn't get another day off, but they did have another round of of blizzard and making sure everyone was okay. So um, we've got two guys that work for us that both drove tractors home the one night because they were coming back to milk in the morning and they weren't sure that vehicles would get in. So their, their vehicle stayed here in our driveway and the tractors went out and that worked out pretty well. They both got back in the morning. So that worked. Yeah. I feel like that's something people, and it's, I mean, I've not considered it too, but especially in our town, there's a lot of folks who didn't grow up driving in snow Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of folks who are 
driving what they can afford, which does not necessarily mean, you know, big four-wheel drive vehicles like we have. Yeah, or snow tires or, yeah. And having certainly been in a place where I had a job where I couldn't take time off or I had a vehicle that was not reliable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it gets challenging. It's annoying to have your kids home when you don't expect them to be, but it's not always annoying. But if you have to work and they've been together 24 hours a day for the last three weeks. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, that pesky job. Unexpected schedule changes can be annoying. Yeah. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, we'll go with that. Not my precious baby children. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I feel like there hasn't been a heck of a lot going on. Just, yeah, people getting back into the, the routine of being back in school. Uh, my second oldest will be going into exams pretty soon. So doing some studying, hopefully, or helping him study. It's That's one of those things that I don't really remember how I learned how to study, but teaching someone else how to study is proving to be a bit of a challenge. Um, and my oldest, because of the way school was during COVID, only had exams in grade nine and then again in grade 12. Um, they canceled exams or didn't run them for a couple of years just because there was virtual school or they were trying to keep large groups of people apart, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, she didn't write exams for quite a while. And so we're getting back into that mode. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to do some support there. And that same kid is also turning 16 in a few weeks. So he's already been doing some driving instruction with a specialized driving teacher for a little while now because we know he's going to need some extra support. But we're also working on doing some tests on the on the iPad about uh, what's going to come up for the, the written test because that's the first step in getting the license. So. It's always interesting all the things you don't know about driving when you go to uh, do a test. So a lot of questions about demerit points, which I understand is important, but does it really matter if going down a one-way street gives you two points or three points? Like, is that the stuff that we really need to know before driving? Like, why not just like, what does this sign mean? Should we drive down this road? No, it's a one-way street. That's the good information. But I guess they have to create a test out of something. I feel like we should be able to safely say, don't do these things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And here's a list of the points, but maybe that doesn't need to be on the test. But anyway, we'll study in a way that hopefully he can pass. So we'll see what happens. I failed the driving test a couple times because I didn't, you know, I didn't take driver's ed because I didn't have the money for a car and we lived in town at the time and failed twice for lack of ability to parallel park. And I can say that in the 24 years that I've been driving, I don't think I've parallel parked since that test. And I feel okay about it. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. we live in the East Boonies. If you drive around the block, you can find a spot that will not require parallel parking. Like, Yeah, that's right. And the funny thing is he's actually quite good at parallel parking because that's one thing that we've been able to practice here in, your, in the barnyard. We've put up some uh, obstacles and painted some lines on the, on the driveway with spray paint. And he's actually uh, pretty good at it. So when the time comes, that might be uh, the good thing now, actually facing other vehicles on the road. <laughs> Might be more challenging, but he's getting pretty good at parking. So one skill at a time. We were laughing a few weeks ago, too, about how far we're going to have to drive to teach our kid to drive on the interstate because the closest, uh, I think the closest four lane at all really might be more than an hour away. So, you know, anything with like. We're about 30 minutes from the closest four lane yeah. road. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely important for them to learn to drive on it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, then you have to uh, make it a whole day. 
<laughs> we're getting on the highway. We're getting off the highway. Anyway, should we introduce our guest for this week? I suppose so. Welcome to Barnyard Language, and today we are excited to be talking to April McKean, who I think is potentially our first guest from Manitoba. Is that right, Katie? Are you keeping track of all of our uh, provinces and states? I believe it is, because April, for those of us who are not Canadian, where the heck is Manitoba? <laughs> it's near you! My Canadian geography's gotten a lot better. It's closer It's closer to you than me. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean anything, Arlene. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we're actually straight north. Um, from the U.S. border. So we're close to Minot, North Dakota. Like, that's where my farm is. I was going to say, isn't, isn't all of Canada straight north? <laughs> right? But we're only an hour we're only an hour away from the U.S. border where I am in Manitoba. Very cool. I think you might be the, uh, the closest non-American guest we've had to me then. Yeah. There you go. Hi, neighbor. A lot of Canada is very far away, which is what I'm finding out during this show. Yes. When Katie came to visit, she wanted to visit some of our other, even Ontario guests. And I was like, well, that person was eight hours away. That person was six hours away. So well, there's a few nearby, but yet yeah, not all that many, even close to me. So April, we start always with the same question. So I'm going to ask you, what are you growing? So that can cover your kids and your farm and your business and any other things that you might happen to be growing. Um, as far as agriculture, so we um, farm uh, with, you'll hear probably later, we farm with uh, my dad and my brother, um, and obviously my husband and I, and we farm 6,000 acres together. Um, so we do wheat, canola, beans, peas. Um, that's as far as we're, we're strictly grain. Um, and then we, I also have three kids. They're six, four, and two, two boys. And I ended up getting a girl on my last one. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. That's the things that are growing. And you're also growing a business, I think. Growing a business as well. Yes. So um, open, like we're probably been open for a year and a half. I think we, June, I believe we opened, uh, like not last June, but the June before. So all the years are intermixing together already. So yeah, once you, <laughs> once you have kids, everything kind of blurs anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm assuming that if you're farming with your parents, that that means you probably grew up pretty close to where you currently are. So what is your background and I guess your, your husband's background when it comes to agriculture and where you guys both grew up? Yeah, so um, I actually didn't meet my husband until college. Um, but we actually like where I currently live and where he grew up, we're only 45 minutes away. So that's pretty cool. Um, and actually too, so the farmyard that I live on now is actually my grandpa's farm. So when I grew up, we actually like I could see my old red barn, like the farm that we used to um, that I grew up on. And then actually when my grandpa had passed away, we came and we settled like kind of where he lived. So we're actually on my grandpa's farm and we uniquely are all on the same farm. So my dad actually lives in my grandpa's farmyard or like in the house. And then I live, there's a row of spruce trees and I live right next to that. And then my brother actually lives just across the road, which is also walking distance. Like I can send my kids over there and not be worried. <laughs> Like, so we use the same lane, same everything. It's definitely a unique situation, but it works. So yeah, Katie and I are both in the living right close to our in-laws situation, but uh, we don't have any siblings right nearby. So yeah, you're one up on us for sure. And actually, uh, when it comes to 
picking a husband, similar situation. My husband and I grew up only like under an hour apart, but had to go further away to university to actually meet each other and then uh, ended up back close to where both of us grew up. So that's kind of a neat similarity too. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that happens actually. And it actually, it makes family events super easy for us because, you know, where some people it's like you have to take a couple days off, you have to make a plan. For us, it's nice. You just, oh, we're going there because it's 45 minutes away. And actually where we live, I kind of say we live in the middle of nowhere, but middle of everywhere because it no matter where we're going, we have to drive and it's at least half an hour. Like to every every sort of thing we want to do, it's half an hour. So it's kind of central, but middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's good to know that more people are living in the, the family compound life than just us. Do you have other siblings besides the brother that lives across the across the road though? Just um, my older brother, he's two years older. And we've actually, it's, it's been nice. We always, we've always gotten along. We've always shared the same friends. Um, actually, my husband and him are the same age too. And they get along really well. And same thing with uh, my brother's wife. Like I would consider one of my brothers, like my brother's wives, like best friends with me as well. So we all, like the four of us, people always laugh too. They're like, don't you want to get away from each other? Like you guys are always together. And then when we see you guys like out in an event, you you guys are also together. And I'm like, I truly enjoy being around them. Like they're more than just family. Like they're a genuine friend. So it, it it's very nice. And I'm we're very lucky. Yeah, that's a great situation to be in for sure. So when we were talking before the interview, you mentioned that you consider yourself a stay-at-home parent, which is also a choice that I made when my kids were little, and I know for a time that Katie was a was a stay-at-home parent as well. Was that something that you had always wanted to do, or was it based kind of on geography or circumstances? There's lots of ways that people end up being stay-at-home parents, but what went into your decision-making? So definitely not. Um, I never grew up like, you know how some people, they grow up and it's like, oh, I want to get married, have babies, and do this. The only thing I remember saying, and I actually had a reel of that on my page, I always said to my dad, like, when I grow up, I am going to live right down the lane from you, like right down the lane. And so that was always the thing that in my head that I always thought of. But also when I grew up, I was like, okay, that's not realistic for me. Like, I'm not going to farm my brother's farming. And, you know, that it just wasn't I didn't think in the cards. Um, But so what ended up happening is I went to college and I actually in college, I took marketing. And then that's where I had met my husband. A couple years passed. Um, he actually did egg and commercial lending at a bank in the city there. And when I say city, it's still small, like Brandon, Manitoba is where it is. And so from this farm location, Brandon's about an hour and 15 minutes away. So it's not too far. Um, anyway, so we were like, yeah, we're going to. I ended up getting a job um, doing marketing at a car dealership. And so that's what I was doing. And he was doing egg and commercial. And we ended up buying a piece of land just outside of Brandon to kind of not be totally in the city. And so whatever. Yep. Bought it. We went to look at it for the first time. And my dad gives me a call and he's like, um, just wondering, like, do you think you'd want to come home and farm like you and Sean? And I'm like, um, that would have been great to know before we purchased this land to build a house on dad. And then we ended up, it was great because we ended up selling it right away. And then the rest is history. Actually, we moved home. Um, I kind of worked at 
a place just kind of around like here where we live now. And um, Sean still worked from the bank, but uh, remotely. And yeah, we actually lived with my parents for a little bit until our house was being built. And yeah, the rest is history. And so what happened there was once we had kids and my mom was a stay at home mom. And so I was familiar with seeing her like, you know, help on the farm and drive the equipment and bring out meals and just always be there, like be able to be there for our extracurriculars and stuff like that. And so when I when we had our first, he was born in March of 2017. And so it was coming up a year. Um, and so my mat leave was going to be done soon. And it was February. And I remember laying in bed and I was crying and I just said, I don't think I can do it. I don't I don't think I can go back. And uh, my husband was like, well, then we'll figure something out. So I was lucky enough to be able to stay home. And then after the one, the second and the third came. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Then it just kind of continues to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I, there is something about that end of end of that year. I know that for our American listeners, it's it's a lot different. But I was, you know, working when we had our first and coming up to the end of that year and thinking about the logistics of what it would actually look like. There is something about having that whole year at home and being so immersed in parenthood and what that looks like and the rhythms of, of being at home and then and trying to figure out, especially in a rural place, what it would look like to to figure out childcare and commuting to a job that's, you know, probably, like you said, at least half an hour away, if not, if not further, right? Yeah. And at, at that time too, right? Um, like now there's that less expensive childcare too, which is good. But like at the time, by the time we commute, like you said, you pay for fuel, you go into town, you work and pending what your wage is, and then you come back. And um, like you said, sometimes the logistics of that, it does work to stay home if you can, right? Yeah, for sure. For our non-Canadian friends, um, can one of you give us a brief rundown on what the Canadian maternity leave is like? It's not something we have here. So Yeah, that's right. So pretty much any job you are entitled to a year off. If you're if you did not give birth to the child, your your parental leave is a little bit shorter because it's broken up into both um kind of the, the medical leave portion and then the parental leave portion. Um so if you didn't birth the child, say you adopted or your um the non-birthing parent, um, you wouldn't get the full year. Um, but now um, you can actually get up to 18 months for your leave and you get, um, basically everyone pays into employment insurance. So it's through the same program as if you were to get laid off and you would get employment insurance. Your maternity leave is covered by employment insurance. And so when you go on your leave, you get paid half of your salary. Well, I mean, the amounts differ, but you either get paid half or if you spread it over 18 months, you get paid less than that. And then depending on where you're employed, you would get a top up from your employer potentially. Um, lots of people don't, but, you know, sometimes people like teaching jobs or government jobs might get a, a top up on top of that, that EI segment. And then the way it works is that then because employers know you're gone for a year, a lot of those maternity leave positions end up getting... Um, you can you hire someone for that whole year, right? So you got you're not just covering somebody for a few weeks. Um, and a lot of people actually get their start in employment covering people's mat leaves because it's a it's a decent enough chunk of time 
and you know when it's going to start and end. So they'll, they'll put that out as a contract position and someone will get to work that job in your place for a year and then people would come back and then that contract would be up. Okay. That kind of covers it, I think, April. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. You answered it better than I would. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the States, I mean, there's a few companies, I mean, probably more than a few, but in our area, a very few companies that offer maybe more than 12 weeks leave at the top. And even then it would be, it's a reduced wage. I think it's 50 or 60% usually. Um, and only for the birthing parent. But if you don't work for one of those jobs, I know a fair lot of women who go back after like a week, you know, because they have to. Um, for myself, I stayed home because childcare for one child was more than I was making. Uh, childcare for two children would have been most of both of our paychecks at that point. Um, you know, and so it's a very different situation around being a stay-at-home mother because for a lot of families, it's that they can't afford to work rather than that they can afford not to work. You know, it's it's a very different thing. So, right. anyway. Is it hard to get into child care, like, in the States there? Yeah, it's... In most places, there's no government funding for wages for childcare employees, so it tends to be a very low-paid job. Um, and there are a lot of centers that closed because of COVID, you know, because people pulled their kids out, so then there weren't jobs for the employees, and then they found jobs that paid better and didn't involve anybody wiping their nose on you. Um, you know, and so a lot of those people found jobs that paid better, and then kids came back and there weren't any slots available. So most daycares have huge waiting lists and it's just a mess. And I think people really don't get the the overhead expense of running a center. And that infant care is the most expensive, right? Like the where here there's there's going to be a smaller amount of kids. I mean some people who are self-employed may have to go back to work earlier, but the majority of kids are going to be over a year before they start where there your ratios are so low for little kids like for your babies essentially so you know you're only going to have two or maybe three babies per worker and that is a super expensive prospect for an employer to to cover those those people too right and that's the the most expensive spots and here you know like the older kids kind of subsidize the younger ones but but with that many really little people it's hard to hard to pay for. That's a, a really good point, too, right. because I know here, um, until recently, I was on the board for a local daycare, so mm -hmm. I learned a lot about how this runs. The infant room, I want to say the ratio is four to one, so four children under the age of one year to one adult. The ratio for school-age kids, I think, is 16 to one. Um, and even at one year, I think the ratio goes from four to seven or eight. Um, so even just at one year, the ratio climbs quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just the expense of keeping little ones is quite high. Yeah, for sure. So one of the reasons we started the podcast was out of the isolation of being a new parent in a rural area. What was that transition right. like for you? Well, I always grew up in a, I mean, other than going to college there and living in the city for a couple of years, I always knew what it was like to grow up on the farm. 
Um, but after having a kid, it's definitely different. Um, I would say I was super lucky to have my parents close by and my brother close by because it would have been very lonely because I already kind of felt that um, to begin with. I would say like it rocked our world. Like first kid rocked our world. Like I, as far as like, you know, I, I mean, your, your whole body is different. I had a C-section, so I, it wasn't part of the plan. And I remember coming home and I couldn't even bend to get my dishes in the dishwasher. And things like that. And, you know, it's kind of funny. People, I, I mean, I we're getting to the generation that I feel like more now are talking about things that nobody talked about. And I think that's awesome. Like, I feel like almost the more you know, because even, even the C-section thing, like I didn't do much research on that until after because I thought, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Um, but yeah, like I couldn't bend. I couldn't move that great. Um, I did have a lot of help. Um, I remember my sister-in-law, she would stop in every, every, every day after work and she would just come in and hold the baby because she knew that I needed that. So that was a big thing. Um, and then actually, like I would say our, out of our friend group at that time, we were the first ones to have a baby. So that was also a little bit isolating because there was nobody that we were super close with that we could you know, relate to, like that I could relate to or, you know, oh, hey, this is happening to me. Is this happening to you? Kind of thing. So I would say once I healed, it was a lot better for me. But that whole change in your your whole body and your whole self, and I felt the most, um, I, I tried breastfeeding for the first little bit and it was not working for me. And I just thought like society puts a lot of pressure on you know, breastfeed, breastfeed and all that kind of stuff. And it just wasn't working. And I remember still having to do it. And I remember my mother-in-law being here and she says, you know, April, you don't have to do this. And I was like, well, yeah, I kind of do. She's like, no, you don't. There's formula. There's formula for a reason. And I remember going for a shower and I come, come back out and I finally had made the decision. And I was like, you know what? I am going to, I'm going to formula feed. And once I started giving that baby the bottle and I started formula feeding, there was a weight like just come off my shoulders. And I felt like I was a million times better of a mom after that. Like I just felt more like me. I, I don't know. I was, yeah, I was, I was more like me just with a baby now. And I just felt free. So that, I think that was a big thing for me. Yeah. I think that we often don't talk enough about the, both the physical changes and what that does to your brain too, right? About the the fact that you don't feel like yourself anymore for all and sometimes a long time. Mm -hmm. Like I I was I was able to breastfeed my kids, but I didn't really think about how much mental stress that put on me, that feeling of, especially in those first six months when when they only had breast milk. It was like this is this is the, I'm the only thing keeping them alive. And that put a lot of mental strain, which I didn't think about really until after, because it's like, well, I'm it yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And the buck stops here. Um, but yeah, the, the physical changes that our, our bodies go through um, aren't just physical. They, they do change, you know, like how we feel about ourselves and, you know, what we, what we can do both in the 
just in the immediate time after having kids, but also in the months and years after, like those changes, we don't go back to the same person, both physically or mentally, right? That we, we are changed. And yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around that for a while. I wish too that we talked more about, I feel like at least in the States, there's a, a trend towards, you know, having a birth plan. And I really wish that we encouraged people more to have a, a plan B and C and however many more it takes, because I had two scheduled C-sections and there were still surprises about how that went. And I can't even imagine, you know, being in labor first and then having a C-section you didn't anticipate and then learning about what that means for your body and your recovery and that when you're home with a new baby instead of getting to learn stuff about it beforehand or saying that breastfeeding didn't work for us and trying to figure out what bottles to buy and what formula to buy when you live in a rural place and the closest Walmart is, is 25 minutes away and you've got a screaming infant, you know, it would have been a hell of a lot easier to figure that out before there was a screaming infant. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really help learning things to have. Yeah. And you can't drive. Right. If you've had a C-section, <laughs> then you, you you're depending on someone else to to help you or potentially even pick that stuff up for you. If you're if you're not up for for traveling or going into the store or all those types of things. Yeah. And I remember so there was a snow snowstorm just before um, my son was born and the number one highway was closed. So like that's what we got to take to get to the city to have this baby, which is an hour and 20 minutes away. So we actually stayed for a few days just out of relatives in, in, in the city. And then we came home again because we were like, well, this isn't work. Like it's not happening. And I was actually a week overdue. Um, so they did induce me, but I was in labor for, I think it was 41 and a half hours. And then they told me um, that I would have an emergency C-section. And I remember one, like, I remember that like yesterday and I just started bawling. Cause I was like, really, you couldn't figure that out from the last, 40 hours or something like even what? halfway 20 hours ago we couldn't have had this yes. discussion <laughs> so I mean I remember the bait like when my son was born they were like oh do you want to hold him and I just remember like I was so exhausted and so done and I was just like they, they put him on my chest for like two seconds and I was just like no just I just want to be done like I just want to be done with all this medical stuff and I'll see him when we when I get up because it was just like by that point I was just like I just want to be just want to be done with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're two days in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. If you're willing to talk about it, what were your subsequent birth experiences like? So my second and third, they were both scheduled C-sections. And oh my goodness, they were heaven sent compared to my first. Um, I mean, you go in, you know exactly the time, the date. It's still, I still said to my husband too, like as far as that went, I was, I mean, you're nervous. You're nervous before any surgery. We're human, right? Um, but at least I was going in there. I'm a planner. I like to plan. So it's like, I knew the date. I knew the time. I didn't know what I was having though. I kept that a surprise. Um, and it was perfect because then I was done and actually the recovery, I don't know if it was because I already had, but at least my body wasn't under all that stress before, like as far as my first, but the recovery was better. I mean, mentally I knew what to expect. Um, but yeah, I would say for anybody who's in my shoes that had ha have had an emergency 
And then with their next, with the schedule, it was no comparison for me. Um, and I mean, by the time the third one rolled around, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, ready and good to go. So no, my other experiences were great. I know both of ours were scheduled C-sections and with the second one, even just knowing what the surgical prep would be like and knowing what to expect made it so much easier because they're like, and now we're going to put a monitor on you. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, you know, our kids are 16 months apart. Like I remember this just yeah stop explaining and just do the thing you know like but it did make it so much easier to know what to expect with recovery and to know what to expect with how your body would react and and I think it helps that you're busier because you have a kid at home already so you don't have time to notice how exhausted and sore you are yeah. which I think helps a lot <laughs> or at least you you know that exhausted and sore is normal <laughs> and that you're uh, that it'll it will pass too right so I feel like I, I kind of know some of the answers already from what you've already told us, but what do you appreciate about being able to raise your kids on the farm like you like you were raised? Well, I mean, I always loved how my parents were all were always around, like for my extracurriculars, um, minus, you know, your busy seasons. But um, obviously the space, the freedom, I mean, they can go out and, you know, they're safe. Like we're we're in this yard, we're half an hour from everybody, you know, you kind of know what your surroundings are. So, I mean, they kind of get to grow up in that, you know, they can make mistakes outside or they can, you know, learn from doing for the most part. And yeah, just the freedom and the space, I would say. And, and then to like seeing us, you know, like you get up for the day and seeing, you know, the, the physical labor that goes into, um, you know, what farming is. And I mean, they know what each crop is made out of and, you know, they're alongside us every single day and they're always watching their brain. Like the kids are so smart and it's amazing the things that they pick up on, even if you're not doing an actual teaching thing, they're picking up on everything. So it's great to have them alongside with us doing all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, there's not too many jobs where you can just uh, bring your kids along. Yeah. I think to April, our kids are seven and five and a half. So we're right in that same age range as you guys. And it's been so great for us, for our kids to have that relationship with their grandparents where it's just a normal day-to-day -day thing to see them. And it's not like a, a big stressful road trip to go somewhere to see them for two days and then you don't see them again for eight months. You know, that they're just in each other's lives and we've really been enjoying that part too um what are you struggling with in parenting right now and how many pairs of boots do your kids have like a family average between the five of you how many pairs of boots are in oh god on the property because i know they're not all in the entryway we were talking about this yesterday that they just travel honestly i have shoes up here that I was going to say, I don't even know what shoe size my kids are anymore. <laughs> I don't have time to switch them out. Yeah. Until you go and jam their feet in something and when the seasons change, it's like, oh, apparently those aren't yours. <laughs> like, as if this didn't fit. Like, how does this not fit? Mom, mom, it's too tight. I'm like, oh. So then you're scrounging around trying to, scurrying around trying to figure out where those shoes went. So, no, I would say, oh, like the struggling I would just say, I feel like these days we have, I don't know if it's, ex we're expected or you see others doing all this stuff 
But I mean, you know, you have your stuff that you like your need to do stuff, right? Like your work stuff that you need to do. You have like if you want to keep a tidy home, do the laundry, healthy meals. Um, like my first kid or my oldest kid, he's in grade one. So, I mean, you have the school system. And that's we were in kinder last year. So we went every other year. This year, it's a little bit different because we go every day. So it's my first year of, you know, being attached to the school system and having to remember things. Um, he's in extracurricular stuff. And I know it's only going to get busier too as my um, second and third go too. But I just feel like society now, I and maybe we're putting all the pressure, but, you know, everything, we need to be doing this, that, and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we think we have to do it perfect as well. Yeah. <laughs> And then take pictures of it. Right. And then edit those pictures <laughs> so they can't see the 20 pairs of boots in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. You come to the side. Yeah, I do think for as much good as social media has done, and there's a lot of great things about it, I do think, you know, in the, the olden days, A, you didn't know what anybody else was doing, and B, there wasn't any evidence. You know, there weren't, unless they did something to end up like on the front page of a newspaper that, you know, depending on when it was, might have taken six months for you to even see. You didn't know what anybody else was doing, you know, for mm -hmm. better or worse. Yeah, that's true. It was the, yeah, the local paper or someone's annual Christmas letter <laughs> were the only times you really knew what other people were doing. Yeah, I guess the police blotter and the Christmas letter were kind of your gauges of how anybody else was living their lives. I hadn't thought of the police notes, but yeah, that, yeah, that's a good one too. Which last name is in there today? So you already mentioned April about farming alongside um, family. And I know that a lot of times it works well, but I'm sure that there have also been times where there have been challenges. How, how does your family work through things when it isn't running as smoothly on the farm side? Um, well, I would say like, so, I mean, everybody's personality is different, right? So I mean, we've been around each other for a while now that we kind of know how each other tick. So, I mean, my husband, he's pretty, he's a pretty calm, calm guy. Um, I would say myself and my dad and my brother are a little bit more um, not as calm. Um, they're, they're calm, but sometimes it takes a, if, if there's a couple of things that have been bothering them, um, it's kind of like more like a buildup for them or whatever. Um, but yeah, so basically just knowing how each other ticks. We've always said, I mean, we're, we're employees to each other. It's the same thing as, you know, another person going to work and, um, you know, you have your team, they have their team meetings. Yes. We don't sit in a boardroom and have a team meeting, but we are open and we talk, you know, this is the plan for the day. Like let's figure out what we're doing and go from there. Um, and we've always been open. Like if, if something's bothering us, we will say, yeah, it might piss somebody off. But, you know, I mean, we live on a farm. We can walk away if we're mad. <laughs> but, I mean, we're all family here. Uh, sometimes we say some stuff that we don't mean. Um, but in the end, it, we get over it and we carry on. But, yeah, basically just open communication for the most part. And, yeah, you know, you know when someone's having a bad day and not to ask about yeah. the weather that we just got or anything like that. There's times where some people would ask, oh, how's everything going on the farm? I'm like, haven't asked in a couple of days and I don't want to ask. I decided a couple <laughs> of years ago that I don't look at the weather anymore. 
And I sure as shit don't tell anybody what the weather forecast says. No, you have smartphones. You can look for yourself because I I absolutely understand the frustration. Yeah. But since I don't forecast the weather and I certainly don't make the weather, I refuse to take responsibility for the weather. Oh, gosh. It's, it's, yeah. Or your feelings about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your business. Um, so it's Little Farm Hands. And so that name actually just came out the one day I was just kind of trying to think of something. And I thought, oh, Little Farm Hands, like it's relatable to people. We have Little Farm Hands of our own. So it's kind of um, personally after like our three kids. Um, and basically, I had always kind of told my husband, like, oh, I'd really like if if we didn't live on a farm, I would love to do something with like baby, baby stuff. Cause once I had my kids, I kind of was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. And I love like researching like new products or there was some things that I loved as a parent that I was like, Oh, this is really great. And I just wanted to share it with my friends. Like once they had kids, I'm like, Oh, you should really get this. Like, this is awesome. It would make things way easier. So I loved sharing like products that I loved as well. Um, so that's kind of a background on that, but what brought this little farmhands business to life was my husband decided one day he was going to buy a 3D printer. And I was so mad at him. I was like, what are you doing bringing this home? Like, what is this crap? Like, what's going on here? And he's like, well, it's a 3D printer. And I was like, okay, that means nothing to me. And he's like, well, the boys have been asking for Super B semis, like a semi and then trailers because they want to be like Uncle Brandon. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I still don't get it. Yeah, put this together for me. I, yeah, I'm like, how are you going to do that? So anyways, he figured out a way to do it. And sure enough, he made this, like it's a program on the computer. And you can make files or whatever. My husband does all that part for me. Um, anyways, and yeah, sure enough, he prints this. Um, so these collectibles that we make, they're actually on a roll of like, they're on a roll. It's on a roll and it's filament. It's like plastic and it just looks like it's just tubed all around. And the way that the 3D printer works is it just builds builds up in layers and that's how it creates these toys. So it started with um, my husband just making these farm toys for our son. So it started with like the Super V semis and the bins. And then we had a few people ask like, oh, where'd you get that? And I mean, it kind of snowballed from there. And then we kind of thought, oh, well, this could be perfect. Kind of something that I was kind of wanting to do was, you know, do the baby products. And then with the farm toys and we thought, oh, it'll be a good combination between the two. Um, kind of building the brands because I wholesale some of the some of the products that I have. So like using, you know, the trust of those brands to kind of build us up. So, you know, people know kind of the quality that you know we want to perceive and have people know that what our products are and stuff like that um so yeah this being the day and age that we are I didn't need to have a storefront location and because we live in a rural area we thought we'd try the online and it's been going fairly well for us so we do do the farm toys now I wholesale from other retailers and then we have um our own like swaddles and blankets as well for farm people because I feel like us little guys get forgotten sometimes like kind of that niche little market and 
I mean, I think it's great because we're living that life every day. So, I mean, we're out here. We're not just in those big box stores, um, you know, thinking, oh, what does a farmer do in a day? Or, oh, what kind of, you know, grains do they do? Or what kind of animals do they raise? Like, we are living that day, every day-to-day life. We have kids just like some of your listeners and they farm their moms. And so it was basically just, just people like us. We just wanted to give products for people like us. Yeah, for sure. April is someone whose kiddo is very much in that age too, where the, a lot of the farm stuff you see for sale, there's baby stuff, you know, and it's got a cute little duckling and like a lamb with a ribbon around its neck and one of those chunky John Deere tractors, you know, like very two and under. And then there's farm collectible toys and there's a lot of them, but they're 40 to $200 pretty easily. And they're not made for playing with, you know, they're, they're made for trying to say this nicely. Um, Adults who set up toys and then look at toys. And yes, I'm married to a toy collector and his cousin is a toy collector and my little boy is a toy collector and it's a lot, but everybody is allowed their hobbies and I'll try not to make fun of them. Um, but there's a real lack of real quote unquote farm equipment for younger kids that's actually going to withstand being played with. And so I think there's a, a tremendous market for anything that's less baby and more. So we just recently um, brought out some of our toddler blankets, like uh, not as baby um, because people were like, well, my two-year-old or four-year-old would love this, but we're not going to buy a swaddle. So we do have the blankets as well, but our most popular one is the farm kid one. So that one is the combines. There's the uh, semi on it. There's some wheat um, and there's a tractor with a cart on the back, I believe, but that one's really popular. Kids are smart, like we've said before, and most of them are like realistic. Like it's a realistic looking combine. Like you said, it's not a clunky John Deere baby looking thing. It's what they're going to see when they walk out their door, you know? And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that people are appreciating with our designs. Um, same thing, we have a chasing cows and fixing fence one. And those like around here, we don't get like we don't have a lot of dairy cows around here. Um, so a lot of my customers were like, oh, you should like we need cows that, you know, like do a black Angus cow, like, you know, like more common cows. Um, I did do a Highland cow on there because they're popular. Um, they're cute. People love them. Um, so, yeah. So just like you know, stuff that's common that in our areas um, that isn't, you know, being seen from those big box stores who are creating those other designs, I would say. Yeah. And they're animals that look like real animals <laughs> and don't have six teats or something. Or like Katie said, the, the cartoon combine that doesn't look anything like what, what a kid actually knows their dad or their mom's combine looks like. They don't they don't want the they don't want the fake stuff. I'm sure you're only, you know, you're under two years in and there are definitely advantages that come with, you know, being able to to work in the online space, but being rural, what are some of the 
the challenges that you've already had to to figure out in uh, in your short time as a business? Um, I would say, I mean, obviously be, being in the middle of nowhere, when you have that, when it's just strictly an online business, um, you have to gain people's trust, right? Especially a small business. I mean, you come across, oh, little farmhands. Well, what are they? Is it legit? Or because there's so many online businesses now where my poor mom, she's been scammed a few times, but you know, it, it looks real and you go through all the, you know, all the stuff and in the end, oh, well, that's not real. So I would say the biggest thing, especially for a strictly online business is just, you know, we need, like, I need my customers to, you know, write a review if they're happy. Um, I would say we rely on a lot of reviews because that's what, I mean, people are looking for when, when you can't see a product, um, you kind of look what people say and what people think and, um, reviews are huge. Um, exposure, um, obviously, Shipping is another thing. Um, we do have a small little post office close by to me, but um, I can only ship like Canada Post. Like I don't have another courier that I can. Like, you know how you have a UPS or a FedEx? I don't have those options. So my shipping rates are like people have a hard time believing this too, but shipping rates are high. Like you go to ship a small parcel while they it costs, it costs quite a bit of money to ship that small parcel. And, um, I mean, there are a few people that, you know, you almost need to challenge them and say like, no, go, go ship a parcel and see how much that's going to cost you. Like the shipping rates are through the roof. I think especially within Canada, I don't, I don't know if it's the Canada post monopoly or what, but, but Canadian shipping rates are crazy. Yeah. I will say though, I am my shipping, like I would say, especially within the last few months, it's been phenomenal. Like they've been doing a great job, like keeping up with the demand and everything like that. But yeah, I would say, um, yeah, shipping and just as far as an online business, just gaining customers trust. Do you ship to the U.S. or are you Canada based for now? We do. We ship to the U.S. That was also a learning curve. Um, actually, we have quite a few um, us customers now too, I would say our, our biggest, um, customers that I would ship to would be Saskatchewan, Alberta are my two biggest. Um, and then obviously Manitoba, but yeah, we're seeing more and more, um, people from the States, um, as well. So that's super awesome. It, it's, it's, uh, you know how they say, especially small businesses, they do a happy dance. I still do that. It's, it's still awesome. And there's nothing better than seeing like a returning customer. Like it's, that's awesome. So it's, it's, it definitely makes you feel like you're doing something right. So. Yeah, that's really cool. So what are some things that you have coming in the future? What are some of your goals or some new products that you're working on? Things like that. What's, what's coming up for you? I would say some goals. I, I It would be cool to get, so like right now we're actually, um, in a small store in Brooks, Alberta. So they carry actually um, some hats of ours and some swaddles. Um, so that was actually really cool to, to know that they're kind of floating around out there. So maybe a few more um, kind of like small retailers would be kind of cool for um, like, I don't think we would ever do our 3D printed stuff. But as far as like the swaddles, the hats and the blankets, I think it would be neat to kind of get into a little bit more um, smaller retailers would be cool. And I don't know, I, 
I'm trying to think of a few other prints that we can do. A lot of people are asking for crib sheets um, or toddler sheets, but the MLQ on that is quite high and we're a small business. So it's, um, yeah, we just have to take those kind of things day by day. But yeah, prints are always something that I'm thinking of like, oh, what would somebody want? So we're always open to any feedback or if anyone wants to see a specific item. And I mean, if we've heard it a couple of times, then usually we'll try to bring something like that in so for sure yeah katie they even have a curling print oh good <laughs> when katie came to visit canada my husband and i were trying to explain to her the rules of curling i don't think she still gets it but <laughs> she believes it's a thing it's a fun sport i grew up playing it i i uh played it well until i had kids pretty much and i i still do it um regularly on tuesday nights but i i was competitive in it i love it so yeah and and that's another thing too i used to curl too yeah, I love it. We should have a curling team. I'll be on the uh, <laughs> cheering slash drinking portion of the barnyard language curling team. She knows about that part. Yeah, that there's a bar in the curling club. That's how we stay warm. I get that part. Um, April, I was going to say for future products, as the parent of your absolute target audience, pillowcases would be amazing. It is so hard to find kids pillowcases in a fabric that's not disgusting. You know, they tend to be like 100% polyester and it's like sanding the skin off the side of your face. And they're ugly and they're usually too small. And Yeah, because you can have plain sheets, but if you've got a cool pillowcase, then that makes the bed, right? Well, and my kids both have like 20 piles yeah. of blankets and they they have a bottom sheet, but neither of them will use a top sheet. And, you know, but a cool pillowcase would be or uh, placemats or napkins or something. You know, because we have the plastic placemats, but it would be cool to have something yeah. at the table that was less. It feels like it skews real Western. Like you can get straight up ranch stuff, but there's no farm stuff. You know, we're we're Midwesterners. Yeah, that's true. There does seem to be a lot of that that ranch ranch style uh, stuff, but there there is ranch or Holsteins. There's nothing nothing in between there. I, that was one thing that I like. So that's kind of my unfamiliar area would be like the Western and like the horses and stuff like that. Um, but I do know that there's like some of my customers are that, but I just, I'm nervous about going that route because I'm not really sure what they're looking for. It seems like there's a lot of companies in that space already yeah. too, you know, as, as someone who's raising mm -hmm. cattle and mm -hmm. not wearing a cowboy hat to do it you know there's there's a real lack of stuff in that in that land and i'll uh, be heading over to check out these bigger blankets because we have a little boy with a birthday coming up and he is very much that if he sees a a generic looking combine he's going mommy what brand is that and then he'll just like he is personally offended well, yeah. by it you know yeah, I need to be able to identify. Well, and usually my kids can tell me what brand of semi it is or whatever before I even know. And I'm like, yeah, right. No, that's not a Kenworth. Uh, yeah, it is, mom. Okay. So, and they knew, they know. My favorites when they argue with me about things that aren't true, because like my little boy still doesn't really seem to believe that soybeans are a thing. Despite the fact that we grow them, he just cannot accept it i think 
he expects them to look like green beans. And when they don't look like green beans, then they're not beans. And he just cannot. Yeah, no. I mean, we don't eat them. We don't feed them to our cows. You know, we only grow them to sell them. So I think as far as he's concerned, there's just no point in them existing at all, which is, is fair. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And you can make up a category or pick a, a real one. Oh, my goodness. Um, I remember going to one of these, like, these fairs when I was little. There was, like, the junior king and queen farmer or whatever they used to do. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm going to make up my own. Well, I would say two. Uh, it, they're two separate ones. I would say that I can make a pretty mean cinnamon bun. So a baking and maybe if I want to dabble in karaoke, I do some karaoke. Sweet. Now, do you have a do you have a standard song or does it depend on the mood? Oh, everybody has a song, don't they? Don't you, don't you have a song? Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I wouldn't say I'm a good singer. Uh, I would need a few drinks though, at this at this fair if I was going. <laughs> I would say my song would be Gunpowder and Lead by Miranda Lambert. Nice. Yeah. Katie, what, yeah. what's your song? What's your karaoke song? I don't know that I have one. You have to have one. I know. <gasps> you've got the bind. You've got the binder for the karaoke in your hands. What do you? Or it's a mood based. I used to be "Can't Hurry Love" by uh, I like the Dixie Chicks version. Um, but I think now I would do something by Casey Musgraves. Like I'm a big fan of her her uh, biscuit song. I love that one. I will say, April, we were listening to some early Taylor Swift in the car the other day with the kids, and I switched it over to the, uh, which album is Gunpowder and Light On? Is it on Kerosene? Oh, I'm not sure. And, and I don't even know why. I'm not even like a huge Miranda Lambert fan, like not even at all. But that song, for some reason, I'm just like, yeah, like let's let's do it. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I would pick Crowded Table by The High Women. That's a good song. Like yeah, song. I'll have to look that one up after we get off. Wow. All right, I will go ahead and move us into our cussing and discussing segment. So if you're a listener and want to cuss and discuss with us, you can use our speak pipe. You can go to the show notes to find the link for that or send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we'll read it out for you. Katie, what have you got to cuss and discuss today? Arlene, I am cussing. Poorly written patterns. I have a crochet project that I started almost three months ago now. The gifting occasion is in two days. And the pattern is so badly written that I just had to rip apart all of the assembled pieces and start over. And I don't know if it's a pattern writing issue or a pattern translation issue or what. But if you're a big enough deal that you are publishing patterns, and this one was published like in magazines and in a book, like it's a it's a real pattern, the damn thing should be right. Right. It has been sold to you. Yeah. Yes. Especially if I've got, I mean, I'm, I'm making it in 100% wool, so I have a lot of money invested. I've been working on it for two months, so I have a lot of time invested. And to realize now that I have to rip it apart because I, uh, it's turning circles into hexagons and some of my hexagons have five sides and some of my hexagons have seven sides following their written instructions. And I'm pretty sure I've actually made some shapes that are not geometrically possible. 
at this point. We've got some rhombuses and uh, what other shape? Yeah, all kinds of all kinds of shapes that won't really fit. Yeah, and I just want this damn thing done. I am so sick of looking at this project <laughs> and having to start over is really just killing me. So, anyway, uh, April, what do you have to cuss and discuss today? Um, I'm sure many people can relate, but probably kids and eating food. I feel like <clears throat> I feel like you know you can you prep for forever, and it's like you know instead of doing all oh, the regular chicken fingers or craft dinner, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make a good meal. Everybody's gonna eat. I'm gonna have a meat. We're gonna have potatoes. We're gonna have gravy. Set it all down. I don't like that. I don't want that. No, I'm not eating that. And you're just like, oh my goodness, people just eat it, eat it. And then you talk to the grandma that's right beside you. And this is a week later. Oh, yeah. Oh, what'd you, what'd you feed the kids? Oh, they ate so good. Roast beef, gravy, potatoes. They ate it all. They, they couldn't get enough. They asked for seconds. Are you effing kidding me? I found out that, you know, my kids both go to daycare still and they will eat anything for Miss Lori, the daycare cook. Miss Lori could serve them gravel with like motor oil poured over it. And they'd be like, this is the best thing ever. Where basically anything I make at this point, one of them is like, why are you trying to kill me? Yeah. And I feel, I feel like too, you try and sit down as a family. So it's like, okay, we're, we're going to sit down. And then it's like, you finally get all their plates done like done up how they want it and then you go to you go to sit down and it's like oh well this is too cold or oh mom I need this and it's just like oh my goodness like I thought I had everything that you needed at the table but half an hour later I guess I'll eat my food so yeah I feel like the the more effort I put into a meal the less likely people are going to like it <laughs> there's something about that that ratio of efforts to uh, effort to enjoyment I mean it's not always, but yeah, a lot of the time you think, oh, I'll make some, try something new. That usually backfires in a big way too. We've never had this. I'm sure we'll hate it. Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss today? Now, for once I didn't write anything down. What am I going to cuss and discuss today? Um, I'm going to cuss and discuss personal care because it's that kind of thing that I know I should be doing, like flossing. Like, I know it's a great idea, and my dentist always tells me I should be doing it. And every once in a while, I remember. But it's just like the things that I know I should do for myself that are good for me just seem like I can't take the time. And yet there are other things that are not as important that I seem to find time for. But yeah, I always end up at the bottom of the priority list somehow. So I, after we get off today, I will go and floss my teeth and um, make... I was going to say me too. Yeah. Even behind that little wire that my orthodontist left in there 25 years ago that's still in the way whenever I go to floss. Wait, Arlene, you have one of those too? <laughs> yeah, on the bottom of my teeth. Yeah. Yeah, I have top and bottom. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think it's probably been in there for about 20 years at this point. Yeah, because then you have to thread everything around it and then shreds the floss and just makes it that yep. much more of a pain to do. There, that's why you don't do it. Yes, exactly. I blame the orthodontist. But how much money did my parents spend on my teeth? And now my kids are going to the orthodontist. So I know how much <laughs> money my yeah. parents' uninsured farm families spend on teeth. 
Um, anyway, thank you so much, April, for joining us today. So if people want to find out more about you and the products that you have to sell, where should they find you online? Um, you can find us online at www.littlefarmhands.ca or we do have an Instagram page and I believe it's underscore littlefarmhands. So should be able to find us or or type us in on Google. I think we're like the second one from the bottom or like yeah, from the top. The best so. one. <laughs> the one the the one that's the one that's the .ca. That's the one to look for. Thanks. Thanks, April. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com/barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch.